This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. Happy New Year. Um, I guess it's been a while. We record. It's the second, well, <laughs> this is the second episode to really come out in the new year or maybe the third. It's the third, but this is our first time like recording. You guys know we're time machine and everything. Plus it was the holidays and we were, we had to record stuff in advance so we could live our lives for the holiday. And now we're back. We're back. And we talk SVU, true crime. We talk to celeb guests. And up top, we catch up. You know, this was the longest we hadn't recorded ever, I feel like. We really took a holiday break. I did not. It was a real break. But you know what's comical? All the stuff I was like, and I'm going to catch up on this. I'm going to watch all of that. I'm going to take notes on that. And it's like... Honey, if I did anything besides watch Real Housewives of Miami, like, (laughs) I don't even think one task. It felt, it really did feel incredible. I never feel like my life is too overwhelming or stressful, but doing nothing, nothing felt great. And my parents are obsessed with me, so then they are like, you deserve it. You know, they like like me doing nothing. (laughs) Feeding you grapes. Um... I, you know, everyone that has a kid listening to this podcast knows this is the um, worst time of the year. Uh, (laughs) It's just 17 full days of no childcare for my children. uh, And we all got sick at Christmas. My kids both had ear infections in both years. 
I was sick. I just I just got out of it because I finally got a doctor to give me antibiotics. Why are they withholding? I don't know. The antibiotics, it's like, Why it's not meth. Why doesn't your mom just give you prescriptions? She sometimes will, but she sometimes is like, I really think you should see your doctor. You know, she just tries to be a little bit like, you know... She does. I mean, she called in pink eye drops for my kids immediately. They didn't really get pink eye, but then our friends got, all got pink eye. Oh my God. Oh my pink God, eye yes. Is my nightmare. <laughs> well, I used to get pink eye. It's my nightmare. Like, I had it once when I was like 11, and I just still remember the feeling of like my eye being shut and not being able to open it. And like, I, ugh. Anyway, we didn't really get it. My kids got a little bit of like, um, uh, the start of it and then we did the drops and it like never really materialized. It never got to full pink How did they get ear territory. infections? Are they swimming? Like, I don't understand how this happens. No, I think it's like you get congested and then shit goes into your eardrums and it's just like, kids just get them. I don't know. Like, I brought Rosie on a lark because I knew Oscar something was wrong and I brought Rosie just to be like, check her out too and her ear infection was worse than his. The doctor was like looking in them and grading them out of 10 and she was like, well, that's a 10 out of 10 in your daughter and I was like, great, cool. She was barely complaining about it, but they're, they've taken their antibiotics. They're all good. They're on the mend. We were all getting over like, I mean, I've been reading about this on like Twitter and online and stuff. Like everybody has these, this like two week illnesses right now that like they can't shake, like coughs, congestion, whatever. And I'm at, I'm at the tail end of mine. So I feel good now, but oh my God. Anyway, we've done a lot of fun stuff with our kids. It's been fun, but it's just like, fuck. Like, so what'd you, you but, went to the Natural History Museum. Natural History Museum. We've gone to like other kids' places like the Southern California Children's Museum, the kids' space. Uh, there's this place called Peekaboo near us where like our, our babysitter oh God, takes yeah. them sometimes. I messaged you, Kara. Was it the day after Christmas or something where you posted five stories oh, about yeah. the Bob Baker marionettes? And I was like, I love it. You have not posted about anything this much. Not even our own podcast. It was just like story <laughs> after story of these marionettes. they were so cute. I don't know. I just like, I took a bunch of pictures and I was like, these are my best five. And so I posted them in my stories and Lisa was immediately like, fuck, are they paying you? And I was like, no, I just like it. Well, because our but, friend Jared was in San Diego posting about a hotel often. And I went, is this a sponsorship? He goes, yeah, yeah they gave me the room for free. And I was like, okay. con. Yeah, Because he kept being nice. like, and then they have this and look at this gym. I'm like, what is I, happening? I wish I could say I was sponsored by Bob Baker's Marionette Theater. The oldest Marionette Theater in the country, by the way, everybody. If you're interested in Marionette, Is it come really? To. Yeah. They say, they say it at the beginning of the show. They're like, we're the oldest working Marionette Theater. I mean, I can't imagine there's a ton of Marionette Theaters everywhere. But anyway... We've taken our kids to do lots of shit. I, and I will say, I've caught up on a lot of television. I watched all of White Lotus, everybody. It's happened. I've watched it. Wait, I have yeah. an amazing question. This is yes. going to stump and fuck people up, I think. What's the better theme song, White Lotus or SVU? Oh. Isn't that Break Your Brain? That's breaking my brain. Because you know what happened is like, I was on TikTok for some reason and I saw a DJ like mixing the White Lotus theme song into like a dance tune. And I was like, fuck, this slaps. Like, <laughs> that, that theme song is really fun. It is. I mentioned White Lotus on a set a while ago and my walk-off music, they played the White Lotus theme and it was just oh like- my God. It, it just is good. But SVU is so good too. And it gives me the same- I want to dance. I would never fast forward. Yeah. This is so good. 
Also, the White Lotus one is such an earworm. Like, it's been in my head for like a day at a time where I'm like, oh my God, stop. Like, stop making the noises of the White Lotus song. Whereas I, so I I do feel like if I had to listen to it for 24 years, I might not like it as much as the SVU theme song, which wow. has never bothered me in 24 years. And the amount that I watch it, it's just like, you know, and so I don't know. thank you to that baby on the internet that went, oh, to the SVU yeah. theme song. Loving it. <laughs> we did post that. And thank you all for sending us that as well. I do uh, love so that, many baby. gifts. Well, it's so oh. funny. So to us, we get all this SVU stuff. And I am so guilty of this. I sent, I can't believe I keep talking about our friend Jared, but I sent him this. There's a place in New York where it's make your own charcuterie board. And it's like, li, like I think it's a great idea, actually. But you go in and you just pick stuff like Chipotle and they make like a board yeah. for you. And yeah. I sent it to him. He's like, yeah, I got it. And it's like, oh, yeah, duh. Like, he's known for that. <laughs> We're no press to you. It's like, uh, but He's I'm a so guilty of person. It. I'm yeah. so guilty. I will always send the thing, and they're like, yeah, no, yeah. I people saw it. just think of us, and they send this. You think, but wait a minute. So speaking of, I posted this on our account stories, but I caught up on OC, and last night I was watching the newer episode, which I know by the time this episode comes out, it won't be that new. But Maloney's in therapy. Stabler's in therapy. Fine, yes, and he's and it, it started out as the. It started out as the therapy that you have to go to when you discharge your weapon and him being like, can I get out of here already? The same shit he always does. And then his female partner like convinced him to go back. So he goes back and he actually starts opening up. And I was like, holy shit, it's 2023 the year. So what Stabler did he open up about? His wife and, you know, the guy just said something, the, the therapist said something to him that I think struck a chord where he was like, yeah, everyone acts like it's so unnecessary to be vulnerable in therapy and stuff. Well, then why are you so scared to do it? Like, why are you fighting so hard against doing it? Like, basically, something like that. And yeah. Stabler, you could tell, was like, bull, like, you know? And then the the his partner convincing him to go back, and he thanked her. He was like, thank you for convincing me to go back. Like, it's a whole new year of Stabler. Maybe, maybe but, the show, maybe the people in charge did hear our calls. And if they, if they want to end up Mariska Stabler together, we need therapy. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah. We need ther- I, n- I never want them to be together, but my biggest thing was like, he hasn't worked on himself in so long. Yeah. Wait, so you started Real Houses in Miami. Where are you? Or you just I started did. this season? I, okay, so I already watched, I dabbled in one, two, and three. So I know kind of like, I knew the Joanna Krupa of it all and like Marisol and yeah. her crazy mom and all that. So I sort of am like familiar with a couple of these people. So I didn't go to four. I started with five. That's fine. I just, I figure I could go back to four later. So I'm on five and I'm probably four episodes in. Like, um, I'm getting into like the weird shit with like Martina Navratilova and her wife where her wife is (laughs) like, stop making me make food for you when we're alone or whatever. And like Martina's like, wait, what have I gotten myself into? Well, and poor, you saw, you've seen the news though. Yes. Martina, so we wish her. I know, sending her, she she has a recent health uh, diagnosis and I really, I hope she's okay, but. um, No, you should go back to watch season four. These women's like, Miami has become... Like close to New York, I think it's so People good. Say it's These the best women one. give like they go hard, but they do love each other. Like the best part is when you could tell they're actually friends or like that's what's have yeah. connections, and they do. They care about each other. Like when um, Alexia's mom died, they all go to the fu- like they're there for each yeah. other. But they will be like, "Wow, you live in that place? That's where hookers live." You know, they're so yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. mean. But the reason I thought of it was because Alexia and her family has been have been through so much. You know, their son, her son, got into an accident, but then her older yeah. son beat up a homeless person. Went, you know, got like 
But really? This was years ago. And she just keeps excusing it of like, he was just scared about his brother, this and that. And it's like, no, we're all going through something. Like you have to acknowledge, she just keeps excusing it. And it bothers me, but she has Teresa energy. So I'm like scared to even talk about her. Um, And then, you know, he, the charges got dropped, but there was like um, charges of domestic violence. And he got into a fight with like the new husband and all this stuff. And he refuses therapy. She won't push him. And it's like, he needs therapy. (laughs) He Honestly, he, you there's something about him. People, yeah, there's something about him that really freaks me out. His yes. like monotone, like weird energy with his mom. Like, I don't know. He he seems like one of those freaky, quiet ones you got to watch kind of guys. Yeah, I don't know. And she's just even in the reunion about the domestic violence. She goes, domestic violence is a real problem for men. Women lie all the time. And you hear Julia on the couch. Oh my god. Yeah, and you hear Julia on the couch go, no, domestic violence is a big problem. And she goes, yeah, but there's both two sides. And it's like, these are the mothers and the parents that create, like, you have to know your kid sucks. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's really, um, it's tough. Cause it's like, you want unconditional love from your parents, but you need a parent to be like, it's fucked up what you did and you need to get yeah. help. Yeah. And you need a parent that's going to burn your license at a pizza place because <laughs> yeah. you got caught drunk driving <laughs> Elliot Stabler. Um, yeah, but I'm loving it. They're so rich. They're really like, I love the like, the colorful like wardrobe of Miami. Like everything is fun. The titties. Um, I think Larsa Pippen looks like a weird Kardashian. Like, yeah. I don't know. But, but I like I, the, her. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm still getting a handle on who they all are. Like they're, there's one woman that I think might not be a housewife, but just is hanging out. And I'm like, are you it? Like, I, you know, I'm just trying to figure them all out right now. But I like Gertie. No, I love Gertie, but also Ira Madison tweeted this and it was like, um, us, Miami is the best it's ever been. And in reality, it's just like Lisa's life falling apart before our eyes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, so for those who don't watch, like this is, because yeah. everyone I talk to, they're like, is this real? And it's like, no, this is real. Like, obviously there's produced parties and conversations, but like right. their lives are real. Um, And so for those who are not watching, there's a woman who's been married to a piece of shit for 14 years, a Russian Jew like me. But um, he legit after 14 years was like, bringing his girlfriend, like, legit just told her, like, I'm divorcing you. Get out of the house. Take your fucking kids. And then while she was away working, like, brought the 20 plus, like, 24-year-old girlfriend to the house with the kids, kicked his mom and the nanny out of the house, is out clubbing with this girlfriend while still married to this woman. And this woman is, like, dealing with it in real time. Like And he got busted on a hot mic talking about it, right? Yes, a hot mic cheating confession. It's like... yeah. It's but he but you look at the old footage from even eight years ago and it's uncomfortable to even watch. He never liked her. Well, what's crazy too is like I knew about it from you. I knew about it from just being like I follow some Bravo accounts. So like I knew about the cheating before I started the season. And the way they are editing it is excruciating. Like if you know about it going in, they're making her look so dumb. Like, she just keeps talking about how happy they are. She keeps talking about how they're on an upswing. Well, it's not dumb. It's denial. It's hope. I know, but she it's She doesn't like, really have parents. She does Like, Lenny is her world. She met I know, him very but like, young. knowing... The editors knowing that this is happening, it feels like they're doing her a little bit dirty. Like, Oh, no, I they think they're making her keep, a victim. I think they're... We're, now we're like, Lisa! Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. No. I guess I haven't... I have, I'll tell you something. I'm just getting up to the part with the discovery. I'm just at... 
the hot mic. Like I'm, it's oh, the wow. next thing I'm watching. So no. I haven't actually watched it yet. He's enemy like, number one. I feel like she, everyone cares about her now, even though she, but my whole thing is like, when you marry for shallow reasons, yeah, this is what you get. Like, you expect yeah. true um, companionship and care when you married someone for money and you married someone for hotness. It's like he was going to leave her because she couldn't get pregnant. Like he, they, he doesn't care about her. Did she get pregnant though? Yeah, like, they those, have I mean, kids. I know they have those two I think kids, it's but it's surrogate. Oh, okay. But like wow. the earlier seasons, it was very much like he's going to leave me if I can't give him a child. And it's like, yeah, because you're not. You're not truly it's in not, love. It's there's not a connection. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And he used you, and now it's all falling apart. And it's like, but how did you think this was going to work? I think the most jealous I've ever been is Nicole. I think Nicole is amazing. This neurosurgeon with a banging body and a rich fiance who's obsessed oh, with her. I thought she was an anesthesiologist. Yeah, she is. What did I say? <laughs> neurosurgeon. <laughs> She's the same as what Tiffany Moon is, right? They're both anesthesiologists. They make which bank. Is a, yeah, which is a, 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 a very complicated line of medical work, I feel like, and yeah. very lucrative. I mean, we have but to yeah. get started, but I did have a list of stuff. Um, that I know. Jay Shetty. Do you know him? But yeah, why do I know that name? He's a popular podcast. He used to be a monk. He's like a guru of joy and happiness. I don't know. I just didn't know okay. if I trust him or not. And I'm curious if our viewers. Huh. I did I did a deep dive through his Instagram and I liked some stuff, but the idea of like monk of the earth, salt of the earth people becoming influencers bothers me. And then his wife had a video of like how to properly drink water. <laughs> and it was like... Have we all been doing it wrong? It was annoying. It was like room temp. And it's like, shut up. Stop stressing people out. Like, if people are drinking water, let them drink it the way they need to drink it. That's the as least of our problems. As long as they're fucking drinking it. Just drink water, everybody. Well, I told you, I've been having a lot of problems with my thyroid. Like, I've just been having problems. And I told my, you know, coffee, I guess, irritates it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give up coffee. And my endocrinologist is like, that's the least of your problems. <laughs> She goes, there's like 10 things you need to stop doing before coffee. Ahead of coffee. <laughs> yeah. She's like, enjoy your coffee. And that's how I feel with water. It's like, none of us, that's our biggest problem. Like, we're all struggling to like yeah. take care of ourselves. We don't need some, you know, bitch with light eyes telling us that we're drinking water <laughs> wrong. But, the, but he, they had this cute moment where it was like, she goes, you know, I'm sometimes I'm a brat and I ask you to get me my water bottle, but it's closer to me and you still do it. And how do you deal with me when I'm annoying? And he goes, I just realized like that's how you need to be loved in that moment. And why wouldn't I do it? And I was just like, wow, you are, you yeah. guys are enlightened and focused. But then I'm like, but are you dead behind the eyes or not? I just yeah. don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> but listen, wait, we have huge news. We have huge news. First, I'm going to say this episode comes out on the 17th. And on the 19th, we're going to be in Philadelphia. There's still a few tickets left. On the 20th, we're in New York. It's sold out. But look, maybe check the comments underneath the homework post. Sometimes people get COVID and they're giving away their tickets or whatever. Um, the 21st, we're in Boston. There are still a few tickets left for the 4 o'clock Boston show. Come see us. The 7 o'clock is sold out. And then we're in Hartford on the 22nd. That's the last day to this big fall tour. So come to Hartford and see us. Um on the 22nd. But the big news that I'm making you wait for is that tonight, Lisa and I are going to be on Watch What Happens Live. 
Yeah. Um, uh, we're so excited. Obviously, you guys know that besides SVU, our true love is Bravo. And we're so excited to be bartenders. We're not we're not on the couch. We're bartenders, which is great. And we're going to be behind the bar. What I'm excited about is the people that are the main guests. I don't know if they're Bravo heads. So I'm hoping that... He leans on us. Maybe he asks us a couple questions about what's going down in Bravo land. Yeah. Oops, so anyway, yeah. if you have Bravo, tune in to us tonight behind the bar. I'm stressing out trying to find an outfit, but hopefully I look presentable and uh, you guys can check us out there. Also, guys, we have tons of fun merch up in our merch store. It's like on our bio of our Instagram or um, you can go to that'smesseduplive.com and scroll down to the bottom. The merch link is there. And that's also where you can get tickets for all of our shows. But we've got like a new beanie, a fun fanny pack. I've been bringing the fanny pack around the neighborhood I with the kids. I never got the fanny pack. Oh, mine just came like a, like during the break. Are you sure it's Maybe not in your I'll, mail? I'll check the mailbox. I haven't checked yeah. yet. I'll check the mailbox, but you, I thought it would be like more of a package. Because it's thin. It's No, it's like in a thin little package. Ooh, yeah. I'm excited um, for that. And, you know, this is embarrassing. I would rather not do this, but give us a little review. Give us some five stars. Yeah. The Taylor Swift little... fans did come for us hard, and we would love to get our numbers yeah, back up. Yeah, throw us some stars. <laughs> throw us some stars on the old iTunes just write and get a those fucking... sweet review. You tell them, tell people why you enjoy us. So, um, because I don't think we're, you know, misogynists that are pick me girls, but some people do. Some people think we (laughs) really are. Which is so funny to me. I did it. Yeah. Misogyny is that you're not allowed to ever um, question a woman. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, we're misandrists. Yes. (laughs) Like 100% (laughs) misandrists. All right. But let's get started. We have a, a hot episode for you guys today. Okay, we are doing a more recent one. This is from last season, season 23, Tangled Strands of Justice. Came out um, April of 2022. So earlier this year, I don't know when this episode's coming out. So it might be 2023, but... It's such a good episode, reminiscent of the early years. It really is awesome. Really a great one. I'm so glad we got to do it. Um, We open on a flashback and it is September 11th, 2001 and it's 7 a.m. So damn, if you pay attention to that, you know something's about to go down. So a big group of cops are about to search an area in Harlem for a girl named Aretha Green, 13 years old, last seen in the park, going to get her scooter or something like that and hasn't been seen again. And then there's a young Garland there, Christian Garland, our departed from the show, Damore Barnes. I almost said our dearly departed Damore Barnes, but he's not dead. He just left the show. Um, And he's there wondering, do you think we're going to find this girl? And his boss is like, son, we find old men and toddlers. Kids this age don't get found. And I think he means like, they're either dead or they've run away. So the boss cop suddenly gets a radio call for his whole unit to mobilize to a different location because something's going on at the World Trade Center. And it says, oh yeah, Cessna just hit one of the towers. So we're like seeing 9-11 happen on this show in real time, kind of. And Garland just kind of stares back at this lake in the park and then just follows his boss. And now we cut to present day and the cops are at that same body of water, which is called the Harlem Mirror, M-E-E-R. And uh, there's talking about how this kid was fishing and he found a finger bone. And then there's a black bag filled with bones. And when this cop bends down to look at it closer, this eel comes slithering out and it really freaked me out, but it's very flutsome and jetsome. So I kind of love it. And he says get this to the morgue. Like, I think he's like pissed that he got busted in front of everybody looking freaked out because the eel really freaked him out. So he's like, get this bag to the morgue. So now 
We cut to a totally different scene, a bedroom where a young woman in a tight dress is kind of tiptoeing around and she steals a watch off the bedside table as a very hairy man sleeps there. And she opens his drawer of his, um, you know, like drawers and steals six more watches that are in like their own cases. So you can tell they're pricey watches. She grabs her shoes and she gets the fuck out of there. And then we see the guy roll over and be like, baby, are you in the bathroom? Where are you, Kendall? So he's been... I don't know, Rick rolled or trick rolled. I don't know what's going on. But we cut to our hairy victim walking the cops inside his bedroom, showing them where $850,000 in watches used to be. And with him is Detective Nadia Zabo. And she works in with the major case squad. And this is a fun fact. This is a Broadway diva named Orfe. And she is the wife of Andy Carl, aka Baby Dodds. So that's a fun little thing. She's played tons of roles on Broadway. And she's been on SVU before. She was a smaller part in the episode. She paints for vengeance. Um, but this is her big uh, role as this detective who I think you guys are gonna love her or hate her. It's a great role. Uh, and the squad, uh, the major love case the squad- the actress, hate the character. Yeah. The major case squad I looked up investigates homicides, kidnappings, burglary, larceny, and robberies that occur within the five boroughs of New York City. So I guess it could, this is, this I believe is happening in Queens, but- anything, she covers all the boroughs and basically any precinct can toss something up to major case if they feel like it's worth it. I never really looked into what major case was. I've heard them talk about it. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, anyway, this dude thinks the watches were stolen while he was out the night before because he doesn't even assume that it could be Kendall. He thinks she just went back to her dorm at NYU and they met on Sugar Baby's website, he says. And Detective Zabo's like, okay, bitch, so you've got some kind of arrangement with this girl and he does not like her, what she's implying. We are in a committed relationship and she kind of like, you know, raises a brow and he's like, look, I help her out sometimes, tuition, books, whatever. Um, and she's like, well, guess what, dude? We just checked and no one with that name goes to NYU. So he's like, that's crazy, Kendall. He, you feel sad for this guy. He's like, he's been robbed and now he's like, it feel, his whole relationship is, is uh, imploding and he's like, She's never lied to me before. She's like a sweet injured fawn. She she was even sexually assaulted and like, uh, you know, I was trying to help her get over it kind of. And then that perks Zabo's ears right up. She's like, when? When was she assaulted? And he goes, a year ago and I was helping her get over it. So they go to the bathroom and uh, there's a lipstick message that says, sorry, daddy, test today, XOXO with like a kiss. And so she goes, wipe it all for Prince, get the DNA off this mirror or whatever. So now we cut to Garland in a Florida hotel room on a family vacay, watching the news about the skeletal remains being found in the New York City bottle, body of water. And obviously this is piquing his interest and he remembers the old case. So now cut back to major case and Detective Zabo is showing the man with the watches, Kendall, through the one-way glass. And he's like, yeah, that's her. And she goes, Eval, which means bravo or well done in Farsi. And he's shocked she speaks Farsi. And she goes, it's a long story, but we never hear a second of it. Like we have no idea why she speaks Farsi, why she, you know, but whatever. So it's sad. And he goes, you really found the watches on her? I thought she liked me. It's like a sad moment. And then uh, he's like, she did, but she, she did and she didn't or something like that. She's got some kind of quip. And then Kendall's lawyer is our girl, Malza Makar. And here is where she's playing attorney Dara Miglani. Because um, we interviewed her when she was uh, the victim in the Gamergate episode, but she has this recurring role in later seasons where she's this attorney named Dara Miglani. And we've talked to a lot of people, but for some reason with Malza, we do get 
get extra excited. It is. Yeah. I don't know why, but we're, I just. She was a Because cool we watched girl. this episode together in a hotel and we both were like, Mazam! Yeah. <laughs> we were like, it's our friend. Um, but, you know, she might literally ignore us at a party. So who knows? And uh, she's like, what's going on? My client was living under a different identity. How did you find her? And Zabo like evades the question and is like, tell your client to confess to grand larceny. She might not even do time. So now back in New York, Garland is fresh from his trip to Orlando, meeting up with Benson at a diner, and he shows her the missing poster of Aretha from 2001, and he thinks it's her. And now we're at the credits. I mean, can you believe, like, we've literally been in 10 locations across different time periods. This is like the most packed credits, pre-cold open of all time. So top of act one, Garland's telling Rollins and Vinny Barbarino, fucking Velasco, how uh, Aretha went missing <laughs> September 10th. I, he's not for me. His like Goomba voice, like, I don't know. He's like, he's, he, he seems like a guy who always has his mouth open a little bit. You know what I mean? And uh, Garland's explaining, he's like, look, Aretha went missing on September 10th of the year of September 11th. And he was, I was barely out of the academy. We were performing a grid search around the Harlem mirror that was never finished because of the, the attacks and the investigation got completely sidelined. And Rollins is like, isn't this a homicide case, chief? And it's like, he's not a chief anymore. And we find out that he's about to become deputy mayor of the new administration. So homicide and all the other departments besides SVU are about to hate his guts. And so <laughs> Benson's like, I'll deal with homicide. And he goes, my boss at the time was Carl Mannix. He was the duty captain. He's retired in Hempstead, which is on Long Island. And Rollins and Velasco, you take the lead on this, Benson says. And she sends them to Long Island, but she goes, but not on your motorcycle. She's such a mom. And so now we're on, on Long Island talking to the boss cop from the Aretha search. And he's old now. He's got an oxygen tank. And Rollins is once again in gorgeous outerwear. You know, you can't ever knock her for that. And Maddox remembers the whole case. He's like, oh yeah. I would Aretha love if people were knocking her for it. Being like, great, another camel coat. <laughs> yeah. Another fucking coats. camel trench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um... Mannix remembers the whole case. He's like, yeah, she seemed like a nerdy kid. Like, she didn't see, like strike me as a runaway. And they're like, yeah, so the investigation kind of got pushed to the back burner. And he's like, try pushed off the stove. Like, there was before and after 9-11, but during, he says, I think there were a lot of tragedies that went unsolved, like, during the days around it. And so... He says the mother called every day for months. He had no leads and they were busy pulling bodies out of the rubble of 9-11. So it sounds very like, you know, traumatic for everyone. And he talks about how guys his age lost a lot more after 9-11 because I think of, I think he's basically talking about all the illness that came to first responders. And he's like, some of us were luckier than others. He taps his little oxygen tank and goes, I've had lung cancer since 2016. And then... um, when he hears about how they found the body and it might be Aretha, he does the sign of the cross and tells the detectives he hopes they see it through. And he says, tell the mother he's sorry. And we see Carisi on the phone now in a different scene coming down the steps. And he's obviously on the phone with Rollins and he's like, yeah, I'm going to make falafel tonight. And I'm like, I wonder if Carisi's falafel is any good. And he gets approached by our I best do. friend. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I just think he's good it, in the kitchen. Yeah. It took me yeah. a second, but I was like, yeah. Yeah. It's like making a meatball, right? But with different... Yeah, but like the problem with falafel is like it when it gets so dry. Like you really have to figure out a way to like make falafel. I feel like not taste like a bunch of like quinoa evaporating in your mouth. Yeah. Not that it's made out of quinoa. I think it's 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 chickpea or something. But you know, <laughs> um, it, it can you be dry. You don't like falafel? Oh, I do. But I like okay. it when you get it in the sandwich and it's got like all that sauce on it to make it give you some moisture. You know, I used to love going to that falafel place near the Comedy Cellar. Yeah, my mood. That yeah. So that is. 
amazing falafel. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think many people just pop them in their mouth. But uh, Cafe Mogador has great falafel hummus plate. I think it's one of my favorites ever. And then obviously yeah. Pita Inn and Skokie. But you're right. It's a delicate balance because you want to crunch and you want it moist. Yeah, Totally, but not too dry, but not just not dripping. So yeah, and it's, the heat. It's, yeah, I love middle. Yeah, now we sh- we got. I want a falafel I want like, right a falafel now. So bad, so good. So while he's like, he hangs up with a falafel talk, and he gets approached by uh, Miglani, aka our best friend Malsum, and she explains her case, and she's like, it's kind of weird how Major Case found my girl. Like they, she has a burner, a different idea, like no idea, like he didn't know any of her real details, and they're being really cagey about how they found her. And Carisi's like, this isn't really my wheelhouse. And then she's like, hold up. You know who you know who my client is. He was one of Henry Messner's victims last year. This is the kid from Born Psychopath in season 14, who then returned in season 22 in the episode called Postgraduate Psychopath. And she goes, you know, the psycho who speared you in the ear to Carisi, ring any bells? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, who's the victim? And she goes, Libby Blandon. So if you remember this episode, she was the daughter of Henry's psychiatrist who he sexually assaulted and tortured. So it was a really brutal assault. We cut to Benson saying, damn, that was a brutal assault. And they're like, Major Case was able to ID her 12 hours from the initial report. Like, how would you be able to do that? And Miglani heard one of the detectives say that they didn't need Libby's DNA because they already had it. But she's never been arrested in New York and lives like, even if she'd been arrested in another state, that's like too quick to rush DNA. So this is very weird. This is like red flags for them. So Libby's already been ROR'd and Liv is like going to take this one on personally because this girl needs an advocate. So Rollins, we're we're playing both of these stories at the same time. We're back on the Aretha storyline and Rollins walks into the morgue to get some scoop on the girl from the mirror. And um, this is male Melinda named uh, Frank Wood is the actor and he is playing Emmy Abel Truman. And uh, he's been in a couple episodes that we've watched lately. Actually, I just watched like an episode from two weeks ago on SVU and it's really good of this current season. I know I've been shitting on this current season a little bit, but this episode I just watched this morning at 5.30 a.m. when I couldn't go back to sleep was really good. And um, it's called A Better Person. That's the episode. And I really liked it. Um, I'm not done. I am like five minutes from the end, but because, you know, my kids woke up and ruined my life. So the Emmy says he's got some info. He's working on on a genetic profile. He can't determine cause of death definitively, but maybe it was a skull fracture and water washed away most of the evidence. But they do have all of what he calls metadata, which is like the overalls, the sneaker soles, the watch band, like all these possessions that were with the bones. And says it's possible. And, uh, you know, Rollins is like, is it possible she was down there since 2001? And he goes, it is. And then he wheels out the kicker, which is a tiny baby skeleton of a fetus, 20 to 24 weeks. And Velasco goes, fetal bones? Like in this dumb fucking voice. And then it's like, yeah, she was pregnant. And uh, that's a big dun-dun. And that's the end of the act. So now we are talking to Aretha's family and her grandfather is like, oh yeah, those scooters were so popular because this is like why Aretha went into the park that night because she'd left hers. And uh, her mother, Cora, who is an amazing actress, this woman is, uh, Cora is played by Nikki Michaud. And I thought she was so good in this episode. She's been an episode of Veep. She's been in Six Feet Under. She's in Good Trouble. She's got 72 credits. She's working and she's a great actress. And um, Rollins shows Cora a picture of the watch and she goes, 
I did give Aretha a watch like that for a good report card. And then they look really sad because it's starting to really look like that's her. And they're like, well, we need to make sure, do you have anything with her uh, DNA on it? So she takes them back to Aretha's old room. And she's like, I always thought Aretha ran away. She'd been depressed. I thought I did something wrong. So it's like so sad. And then she gives the detective some of Aretha's baby teeth that she kept in, in a little baggie. So now... Now Liv is talking to Libby and she's like, I haven't talked to my mom in months. She blamed herself for all the Henry stuff like so much that I started to believe her. So I think she just needed some time away from her mom. But she still, her mom had her number for emergencies. So when her mom's receptionist called and said, get to the office right away, she thought it was a huge problem and ran, ran to her mom's office. And that's where the cops were ready to bring her in. And she says, she's never been arrested before. She's a first timer. And... um they're like, so what's up with the different identities? And she's like, after my attack, I just didn't want to be Libby anymore. I have a different identity for everyone I date. And she's like, it's not like I make a habit out of this. I just wanted to feel taken care of. Bijan was safe. I shouldn't have taken the watches. I wonder why she did take the watches. It sounds like this guy gave her a lot of stuff. I don't, I don't know. know. I really don't know. I An impulse. Had. Yeah. But she says, the only time I've ever given my DNA is when SVU did my rape kit. So... Now things are starting to get really fishy. So now we've got boss lady Liv strolling into Major K's squads, obviously in a long-ass coat looking like a badass. And she goes right up to Detective Zabo and she introduces herself and Detective Zabo's like, I know who you are. Why are you here? And Liv asks her, um, I want I kind of want to know how you ID'd Libby Blandon. And Zabo basically pulls the like, I don't come down to where you work and ask how you put rapists away thing, which, you know... It's like, bitch, you're caught. You got to say how you found out soon. But Benson's like, look, this doesn't have to be a pissing contest. And Zabo's like, great, let's not make it one. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got DD5s. Like, she really is not scared of Liv at all. And, you know, in real life, these two are friends. So I kind of love this uh, dynamic. Um, and now Liv is talking to Carisi about Zabo. And she's like, yeah, she's a real ray of sunshine and she's fucking defensive as hell. And Liv's wondering, is it possible that she accessed Libby's rape kit to get the DNA. And Carisi's like, absolutely not. No way. Like that place is rules on rules on protocol. A cop would never be able to access a victim's DNA. He goes, that's inconceivable. And Liv says, okay, well, I put in a call to the general counsel at the OCME anyway. And the OCME is the office of the chief medical examiner. So they refer to it a lot in this episode. Meanwhile, Velasco and Rollins are finding out that the bones do belong to Aretha. So we have solved this case. That was Aretha. And well, we've solved the identification, excuse me, not the case. And the fetus was a boy. The DNA of the, uh, I guess the paternal DNA was not in CODIS and not a familial match, but he was African-American. So they go tell the family and Garland goes too. And the mom is so, so sad. She goes, she's been in the water all this time, all alone. It's so sad. She's it's like, I want her. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it's like really, really. Because like all these years you thought you did something wrong, 20 years of thinking maybe your daughter's out there alive, but just choosing not to talk to you. But the whole time she's been blocks away from you dead, like horrible. And so... She goes, I want her remains. I want to bury her. And they they also then decide to break her the news to her that Aretha was five months pregnant. And Cora is not hearing that. She's like, that can't be true. She was just a baby. She starts to get really upset. And her dad jumps in and is like, I think you guys got to go now. And they're like, okay, but we do need to talk to you later. And she's like, he's like, okay, but for now, get the hell out of here. 
So now Liv is doing a walk and talk with the general counsel for the OCME. And she's like, there's no way a victim's profile was accessed. It's just impossible. Victim DNA is never uploaded to any database. So they go talk to this dude named Harry. And he admits that he fully ran the DNA from the crime against the victims of assaults in 2021 and found her file. And the case was still open pending trial. The general counsel is pissed. She's like, you didn't check with a supervisor? And he's like, well, the request came from major case, not some shitty low-level detective. And now he's like, it's not illegal. And Liv's like, yeah, because no one thought to create a law about something so fucking unethical. Like, no one would do that. And the general counsel is like, this is against our protocol. We will be launching an investigation. And Liv's like, yeah, so will the DA's office. And he's like, and she goes, please tell me you've only done this this one time. And his face says, fuck no, I do this all the time. So at the precinct, Cora comes in to talk to the detectives. And she's t- like, she's gotten her- herself under control now and she's ready to talk about like figuring out who did this to Aretha. But she's like, she didn't have any boyfriends. She was a good girl. She was all about school. If she had a boyfriend, I would have known about it. And she said her grandfather, Aretha's grandfather was always watching her while Cora worked. So, you know, it wasn't like she had, was a latchkey kid with like all this time where she could have been entertaining boyfriends. Now we're talking to the grandpa and he's remembering 9-11. He's like, oh, I remember us watching the news all day and we thought maybe Aretha went down there to help. Like, And he says, she always came home after school. Sometimes boys came over, but it was just to study. And he said he was always there. But you know, sometimes a guy has to take a walk. And so if he ever left the house, Red was there. And he, they're like, who the hell is Red? And the, the grandfather's like, uh-oh, I better not say anything else. I don't want Cora getting pissed at me. So we find out later that Red was Cora's boyfriend and that he would occasionally be alone in the house with Aretha, but there is nothing in the police report about a boyfriend. So now they ask Cora about it. Cora is upset when they ask her about Red. They're like, she's like, who told you about that? And then she's like, this doesn't bring Aretha back. And then she, you know, pulls it together and is like, okay, Red was married. We were having an affair and I didn't want to drag him and his whole family through this whole thing. He was an x-ray technician at the hospital where I worked as a nurse. After Aretha's disappearance, he moved to Uniondale, which is also on Long Island. We're doing a lot of visiting to Long Island this episode. So now Benson is meeting with trial division chief Lorraine Maxwell. And this is Betty Buckley. She's been recurring in a few of these uh, more recent seasons. And I didn't know this, but she is a Broadway legend. I don't even know if we've ever talked about this. She won a Tony Award for originating the role of Grizabella in the original Cats. So big, big Broadway baby here. And... um, And you could tell she's highly educated. She's rich. She's powerful. She's thoughtful. She went to Barnard. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. Trial division chief. I don't really know what that means, but it seems like she's well compensated. (laughs) And uh, she's just as disgusted about these tactics that were used to track down Libby. They found two other cases where there were convictions. A kid who was assaulted at age nine and then later picked up at age 17 in the Bronx and and convicted of carjacking. And then a sex worker who was raped two years earlier and then was recently convicted of forgery and wire fraud. And then now there's Libby. And they're like, we did find that all six of the breaches in the system were made by this same guy, Harry Kent, and they were all at the request of Detective Zabo. Okay, so Liv is like, yeah, Henry should have stood trial for Libby's rape, but he got himself back into the mental hospital and Libby's probably been spiraling. And Carisi's like, yeah, but the victim did ID her. She had watches, like she had the watches. And Benson's like, I don't give a fuck. This sets a dangerous precedent. The whole case needs to be thrown out. And Maxwell's like, I'll call the Queen's DA. 
And um, I said, I wrote, I'm not sure how Queens is involved here, but I know it's because that's where the crime took place of the theft of the watches. Velasco and Rollins are now back on Long Island talking to Red, Cora's old boyfriend. And he's sad to hear about Aretha. He's like, after she disappeared and then it was 9-11, I just wanted to get my shit together. So I moved my family out of the city to Long Island. And he said, Aretha was really smart. She wanted to be a doctor. She was all about schoolwork. He offers to give his DNA as long as his wife and kids don't find out. So he really doesn't seem like the guy if he's like so willing to come forward with DNA and talk to the cops. And he says, tell Cora my heart goes out. I haven't start, I haven't stopped thinking about her and Nina. And I they're like, like this guy. yeah. And they're like, who the fuck is Nina? And they're like, Aretha's little sister. She'd be pushing 30 at this point is what Red tells them. So now why is Cora leaving so many details out of this? Um, Liv is on the phone with Rollins and um, thinks it's weird that Cora hasn't mentioned Nina. And then, and, you know, they figure it out and then she hangs up. And right as she hangs up, we see Detective Zabo blowing into the precinct like a hurricane. And she's like, you got some nerve, Captain. Everyone's on my ass, but thank God my captain has my back. And then she's like, you're going to need it, you unethical bitch. And then she she's like, you violated NYPD's protocols about victim privacy. And Liv's like, do you know how hard it is to get a victim to come forward and submit to an invasive rape kit? Like, the least we can do is not use their DNA against them. And then she's like, well, tell that to the mother of a 25-year-old boy shot during a carjacking. And Liv like shuts the door to the office. And this is where we get the real fucking tea. She goes, why don't you do some actual investigating instead of trading sexual favors for shortcuts to the DNA database? Done, done. She's been fucking Harry Kent, this DNA guy, to get him to look up DNA in her cases, which is wild. And then Sabo turns it around on Benson. So maybe she knows some shit about Benson's past because she goes, you're scolding me for doing favors for people I'm involved with. That's rich. So she's obviously talking about um, Dean Winters, aka Cassidy, because, you know, in a previous episode, she was like kind of housing Cassidy while he was on the lam for, for allegedly killing his molester, which he did not do, but he was, uh, you know, a suspect. And so and I guess everybody knows that about Benson in the cop world. And it's like, yeah, so she's fucking but the nerdy lab guy. They always bend the rules at SV, you know, for Simon, yeah. she did a lot. Like For Simon, for Kathleen. I mean, they're all doing shit for family. I mean, yeah. if I had a cop relative, I'd be like, hello, parking tickets? Like, come on. So like, oh, I got another fucking, I got a, more money that I have to pay for my fucking towing that happened months ago. No, why? Yes, because when they took my car, my registration was expired. So I got an additional ticket for that, even though I updated it. But I haven't been home. So it's now, instead of, $90, it's like $200 something. Oh my God. But like, fuck everyone. Fuck LA. Fuck cars. I just like, oh, I just yeah. want some, I want to live like Mr. Big. You know, I want Baba. I just want like, Someone want a driver. to drive you around. Yeah. I want a driver. Yeah, I want, I want to driver. be like Bethany Frankel. I want to be crying hysterically and the man driving me around going, oh, Miss Lisa, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he's your best and only friend. Yeah. <laughs> when you're going through a tragedy. Um, okay, so anyway, Benson's like, fuck you, Zabo. I've never put a rape victim in jeopardy. And she goes, oh, you've never put your finger on the scale for a former partner or an IAB rat? So I don't know if she's bringing up Maloney there too. Because or I don't Amaro. think- Yeah. Amaro with the Or Amaro. Shoes. So yeah. it's like, there's shit going on. And it's like, damn, this and bitch Rollins. knows. Yeah. There's a it, lot of nonsense at SVU. Yeah. And this bitch knows Liv's business. Like, she yeah. knows everything. But it's so different. This is, like, all stuff for friends. This is, like, you are 
violating victims' rights and privacy and going against the, like, Fourth Amendment rights to close cases instead of actually do... I love when she goes, how about you do some investigating? Like, that's my favorite. Yeah, she's like, go do some investigating, get some subpoenas, like, actually figure this out. Like, you're kind of... You're just doing it for shortcut because, like, you found this girl in 12 hours. You you could have maybe found her other ways, you know? Anyway, uh... I also bet that guy wouldn't have called the cops if he thought Libby had done it. Yeah. Because he likes her. He probably wouldn't have. You're right. He probably would have just tried to get in touch with her and said, babe... Come back. I want the watches back, but I I forgive you. Um, So after she makes that accusation about the former partner and the IAB rat lives, like, get the fuck out of my office. And they keep screaming at each other. And it's like a full fucking showdown. Like, I don't think I've seen Liv have a back and forth with like another person like this or not in a while. Like, it's a great showdown. And then she slams the door in Zabo's face and she's like, bye. And so that's the end of act three. Way to end an act. She sucks, Zabo, but like, it's usually Serpico. It's usually some guy with eyebrows and it's more annoying and enraging. But this was like, entertaining. This is entertainment. This was like such a good scene. You could tell their chemistry. I was obsessed. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, top of Act 4, they're talking to Cora, and she says, well, the cops never asked me if I had another kid. And uh, Nina was upset about her sister, and she was crying, so I sent her to a neighbor's house. I didn't want the cops to get her, like, more upset. And it's, like, seems weird. There wasn't, like, a picture of the other girl in the house. Like, the cops just never knew there was another child residing at the residence. That's weird. So they say, we need to talk to Nina. And and Cora and her dad are like, nah, we don't fuck with her anymore. She chose drugs. She chose life on the street. And the mom says, I haven't seen her in five years. I already lost one daughter. I didn't want to watch another just fade away in front of me. So sad. But also, she could be traumatized about her missing uh, sister. So they go, sorry to her. And she goes, don't be. I ran out of tears for her a long time ago is what Cora says about Nina. It's and then she- brutal. What a sad life. Yeah. And she she says she always thought that they'd find Nina before they found Aretha. So she really sad. So they look up Nina's record. She's been in and out of jail, prostitution, possession, and now she's in a halfway house. So they go there- And the guy there says that Nina's been doing really well and that she's been working her program, but that then her grandfather came by to visit earlier that day and Nina seemed really upset. And they went out for, she went out for a smoke and she never came back. And he's scared that she's out trying to score. So now, sorry, it's so confusing with going back between the two stories. Libby now is at Carisi's office and she's like, what do you mean? Like, why is my DNA out there? And they're trying to kind of explain it to her. And she's like, I should just plead guilty. I did it. I don't want to be like Henry Messner and like play the system. And Liv's like, okay, you can make restitution for what you did, but like, we can't set this as a precedent that people can find DNA this way. And they're like, well, tell it to the Queen's DA because the Queen's grand jury just handed down an indictment. So now at court in Queens, Libby pleads not guilty and is ROR'd. Detective Zabo is in court following up on her shit, she walks out and runs into Benson and Maxwell as they're walking in. And and Maxwell's like, oh, hi, what's up? We're going to review all of your arrests and you'll be hearing from us. And she's like, Zabo goes, glad you have the time for that. And then walks out. I mean, she sucks, but she's a great, like, she gives good attitude. You know what I mean? Like if she was on, you'd want her on your side, I think. So the judge is 
so pumped to see Maxwell. He's like, he's like, Lillian Maxwell, to what do I owe? It's not the US Open. Like he loves this woman. And she's like, I've been trying to get in touch with the DA of Queens, uh, DA Dracos. And the judge is like, oh, I can put in a call. All you have to do is take me to a steak dinner. And I like seeing this, uh, you know, this handshaking going on with these weird judges. So they go see the DA Dracos and she's like, what's up? What do you want? And they're like, we want you to drop this case. And she's like, why? The girl's guilty of a felony. And and Benson's like, yes, but this detective should never have access to the DNA. And Lillian's like, every subsequent finding is tainted. And the the DA goes, under what law? And she's like, I have sympathy for rape victims, but they don't get a get out of jail free card. And, um... She's like, if I drop this one, where does it stop? And it's like, Liv is like, what message does it send to rape victims to know that their DNA could be used against them? This will completely chill reporting and set us back decades. She goes, well, then you should be fixing your problem with the OCME. Like, I guess. Um, And they're like, we're not dropping this. And she's like, well, me neither, bitch. So... I don't know what you want to do. And then Maxwell leans in and goes, you're not on a moral high ground here. This is quicksand. And they walk out and the DA does look nervous. She looks like, fuck, maybe I shouldn't have put this all into getting like the watches. Like it's watch theft and the watches have been returned. Like this seems like an easy case to to drop. Velasco and Rollins uh, are now at this you know, sketchy building, questioning a dealer about Nina. And he goes, he, she didn't have the cash, so she's out trying to do sex work to make money for it, for drugs. So then they find her and she is, you know, just walking away from a car or whatever. And they're like, flash their badges. And she's like, I was just giving that guy directions. And then they're like, no, we need to talk to you about Aretha. So in the next scene, Nina's in with them in the precinct. And she's like, yeah, my grandfather told me they found Aretha. I thought it was another one of his lies. And then, so they're like, we told Cora about how Aretha was pregnant. And Nina's like, why'd you tell her that? Like, I knew she was pregnant, but I didn't want my mom to find out. And her, my grandfather said it would kill her. And it's like, so he knew she was pregnant? Like, everyone knew this girl was pregnant except for Cora. So then we find out through a Garland Carisi walk and talk that the grandfather is a match for the fetal bones. Done, done. So he's not Cora's biological dad. And he refused a lawyer, so maybe he's ready to confess. And now we're talking to this grandpa that we've been seeing the whole time. And he admits that when his girlfriend told him she was pregnant, he had doubts that it what might not be his child because he was in the National Guard and he was out of town all the time. But he said, I stepped up, I did the right thing, I married her, and I treated Cora like my own child. So this explains why the DNA doesn't match. So then he admits that Aretha dying was an accident. When she told him that she was pregnant, he said, you cannot have this baby. And she said she was going to tell Cora, her mom, and he tried to reason with her. He says he got angry, he shook her, and she fell against the tub and hit her head. He did not mean to kill her. He loved her. She was the light of his life. And then he goes, and us together, she was not my grandchild, so it was not a sin against God. And it's like, she was 13, you fucking freak. Like, and you are by all accounts her grandfather. Like, and I like that it's like shaking sense into her and the sense is don't tell your mother that you are like, what? Yeah. I, I mean, the mental gymnastics of this man and I hope he dies a terrible death in prison. Right. So uh, he's going to die Hate in jail. Ice cold. Yeah. It's just scary to think that you are living with a person that's supposed to care about you for years and years and this is who they are deep down, just hiding their monstrousness. It's scary. Yeah. Completely. 
so awful. Just manipulating I mean, everyone. Everyone's life's gone to shit. Everyone's miserable around you. Someone is dead. You don't think you've done anything wrong. You're, the sister's a drug addict. Like, everyone's having all these issues and you're just like, what? I didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a sin against God. It's like, you've done something illegal against the law. You've done something in many ways. Two things. Killing her and raping her are both illegal. But if it's not a sin against the Lord, we can live with it. That's this kind of person. Well, that, yeah. I forgot that the Bible lets you, like, rape kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we we find out he's going to die in jail, so they're going to go tell Cora. Um, as for the DNA situation, Maxwell's like, I think I got it figured out. And then she tells Liv this, like, crazy... She goes, well, I had dinner with that judge who's obsessed with me. He got sauced on too many drinks and told her that he asked um, Malzahn Makar's character to request a bench trial for Libby and that he's totally going to find her not guilty. You know, a bench trial, you know this, Lisa, but just in case anybody forgets, is I think when you put it all in the judge's hands. So I think we saw this in the episode Poison with Tom Skerritt. The woman knew that he favored her, so she asked for a bench trial. Um, and so he's going to find her not guilty. And then he's got some ideas about her other convictions, convictions as well because he's got the scalding hot tea on D.A. Dracos whose husband was cheating on her. So she cut and pasted this judge's signature on orders for a wiretap. And he just knew about that and he's just been sitting on it. So now it's like, you know, he basically forced her hand on this. And so now we click on the TV, as always on this show, we click on the TV right as a, uh, you know, a press conference is going on. And the DA from Queens, Dracos, is making a statement. And she's sitting there. She's got Sabo on one side of her. She's got the OCME general counsel on the other side. And she's going, we found a huge flaw in the system and we're going to fix it. And it's wild. Like Benson's like, you're going to fix the flaw that you created and then like <laughs> wanted to ignore until you got your fucking ass handed to you for being a psycho. And so now she's crusading about making this practice illegal and like... Benson's like, wow, that is chutzpah. But either way, it got done. And Betty Buckley's character goes, I've learned the best way to get anything done is to let other people take the credit. And she ain't wrong. Another, yeah, that's a that's a really good lesson too. Yeah, I mean, I know we, you and I have been talking about things where we're like, we need to make people think that they thought of it themselves. You know what I mean? Like you have to kind of play into people's ego a little bit sometimes to get what you want. Okay, so in the final scene... Cora and Nina are like walking hand in hand, like arm in arm, like, thank God they're back reunited. At least like, you know, the family's not completely shattered. And she's like over the whole thing with her father, who's not really her father. She's like, it's over now. All that matters is that it's me and Nina. We're going to have a service for Aretha. And then they, they you know, walk off. And we hope that at least they have some closure and can work on their relationship and that hopefully Nina gets her life on track. And Garland says to uh, Rollins and Carisi, like, this is kind of case does not make me miss being a cop. And then he's like, Godspeed, guys, check you later. And then Relisi go arm in arm off into a beautiful New York day. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. But a, a great, great episode. episode. Yeah. It's really good. And I, so how are the two cases related? Just like DNA and evidence and finding stuff, mistakes in the system? Like what, why did they connect? Why did they make these two? Oh, tangled strands of justice. Because I thought that was DNA. Well, yeah, I think it is. Because I think DNA is is eventually what busts the grandfather. And it's like, it is a very important part of Aretha's case as well. So. Yeah. I kind of wish there had been more of like a 
discovery of that. Like, there wasn't much of a discovery. It was just like, oh, so it turns out he's not really the dad. Like, and the <laughs> DNA matches. Like, we just kind of bypassed that. Like, that was more of a tell, don't show moment. But um, yeah, this is a great episode. And sometimes I don't like the ones where there's three stories going on at the same time, but two but kind two, of works for me. Yeah. Two we can handle. Two, two I can, can follow. <laughs> can follow an A and a B. Um, but- yeah, I know that this is based, I've read very little on what this is based on, so I'm looking forward to you telling me. So we will be R.B. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. So this is obviously really current since it was also a new episode, but it is hard to research things that are truly happening within months from today, like a few months before, like all kind of active. It's, uh, it's pretty interesting and... Um, just a different experience. But um, so this is based on two crimes. We're going to focus on the DNA part since the other crime has been covered in a few other SVU episodes. So we will talk about it one day, but we're just going to focus on the DNA psycho situation being used um, of victims. So in 2016, a victim who was in San Francisco had her DNA collected and stored in the system in a domestic violence and sexual assault case. Jane Doe, um, and she will be referred to that throughout. Her identity has not been revealed. She told police in 2016 that she had been raped by her mother's boyfriend, who also then killed her mother. Doe and her sister were being sexually abused by their mother's boyfriend and that someone from her school reported it to the police and the girl um, and her sibling were taken out of the home, which prompted the boyfriend to confront her mother about the allegations and then he straight up fucking murdered her. The oh officer who... In- I know. The officer who investigated the sex abuse came to the funeral to apologize and that's like very Elliot Stabler. Nobody needs you at a funeral. <sighs> You can schedule an appointment in a week or two. Like, you're supposed to protect that family. You did the wrong thing. You took them... Like, you did not protect everybody. And uh, the funeral is not the place to get forgiveness. Unless you're there to just strictly mourn. Like, fuck this guy. Um, So for a long time, uh, the women 
the woman understood and knew the police was never there for her best interest. Um, and then her DNA was used in an unrelated property crime slash theft slash burglary. It's kind of unclear what yeah. it is. And every source kind of says something different. Her DNA was in the police department crime lab database and was tied to a burglary in late 2021, years after her 2016 assaults. She was arrested in December 2021 and charged with burglary slash retail theft slash proper... I mean, I don't know. That honestly sounds like shoplifting. I'll be honest. Like, it sounds like shoplifting. It's like not the worst crime. (laughs) No. Um, And she ended up having... uh, was held in jail for several months because she could not afford bail. Fuck you. Are you serious? Yes. Yeah. For burglary retail theft. This is why we need to get rid of cash bail. Um, She said, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, that the incident made her feel like she was reliving her trauma all over again and reliving all that stuff. This um, obviously caused a national outcry from advocates, law enforcement, legal experts, and lawmakers, since this could affect victims' willingness to come forward to authorities. After being assaulted, they very well covered this in the episode. Already, we know that 80% of like sex crimes do not even get reported at all. It's so invasive. It's so fucked up. Rape kits don't get tested. It's It's... It's already so rare and brave that people come forward and then to have this happen is just pretty horrible. Um, And it also violates the victim's Fourth Amendment rights, which protects people from unreasonable searches and seizures. And there is already a federal law that prohibits the inclusion of victims' DNA in the national combined DNA index system. Yet the San Francisco Police Department Crime Lab director said that this was standard practice. Dan Crane, a biology professor at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. Whoop. I don't know why, but our friend went to college in Dayton, not even at that school. Okay. Um, But he said, even with the federal law, that in general, there is a lack of state and local laws across the country that restrict what can be done with local DNA databases. Most law enforcement, he says, act like stamp collectors when it comes to collecting DNA. And the more people they can get in the database, the happier they are. This would be like a Munch field day if Munch was still on the squad. Like, you know, he was so against the whole, like, collecting our DNA so they can use it for other shit, like, big brother of it all, you know? Too bad he's gone. Too bad he's living a life in France. But I'm just saying, like, uh, you know... Yeah, and I like the idea of the stamp collecting because it's kind of like, you know, they won't try cases if they can't win because they care about their record or they, you know, it's just like all about them and it's not about anyone else or even like how cops have to go like ticket people at the end of the month to get their quotas. Everything is like about them and their and their stats and their information and how much DNA can we get because we're lazy fucks who can't do our job. Anyways, District Attorney Chessa Boudin, um, Boudin, whatever, is the Benson of this whole situation, but is a man. And I had to go through my notes and change it the whole way through. Who I was unfortunately like, was recalled. Yes, I was, yeah. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't know if you were going to get to that, but I, I it's yeah. such bullshit. I've read a lot about that. Yeah, I definitely thought it was a woman the whole time because of how good he was and caring and then I was and his name. <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, that is a man. He has been recalled um in 
Yeah, we'll get to it. So she was searching through... See, I wrote she. So he was searching through hundreds of pages of evidence against a woman who had been charged with this felony property crime. But after learning the source of the DNA evidence, Boudin dropped the charges. Boudin... um was quoted saying that this treats victims like, end quote, like evidence, not human beings. Shortly after this incident, the crime lab stopped the practice after receiving a complaint from the DA's office and changed its operating procedure to prevent the misuse of DNA in the future because if police have access to data, they will find a way to search that data. Not They are not to be trusted. Our DNA is ways too sensitive to leave it for access by cops and prosecutors on any whim that they decide. Yeah, not to mention they could like misuse it, like plant it, you know, like there's so many reasons why that should not be Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. You know? Yeah. Um, So August 2022, California lawmakers approved a bill that would prohibit using the DNA profiles uh, police collect from sexual assault survivors and other victims for any purpose other than aiding and identifying the perpetrator and to differentiate between their DNA and the suspects. Senator Weiner's legislation to protect uh, sexual assault victims' DNA passed passed the assembly and it received, well, one source said it received a unanimous vote and then another source said that there was a single dissenting vote and it was from an assembly member, Marie Waldron, Republican San Diego County. So I don't know, but we can't be surprised. Not shocking. And um, it's so not surprising. And so I did read about San Diego and Orange County and they have wild DNA practices that ACLU and Munch types alike have been having a lot of issues with. So in San Diego, police were stopping juveniles and only letting them leave after they, in quotes, consented to the collection of DNA from children. What? Yeah. It was later outlawed, of course, by California state law. But in San Diego, they were just like bullying and stopping juveniles and being like, we're not letting you go unless you give us, unless we swab your mouth. Yeah, because it's like trying to, it's just kind of trying to like create a full database of all people and all of our DNA. And I just find that that's too scary. There's, there's, that just could, there's too much room for misuse and, and mistreatment, you know? Oh, one hundo. In Orange County, and I know that's not San Diego and has nothing to do with victims, but it, it's just like, it's just so telling um, because it's also like super Republican-y military areas yet that are all about freedom and little government. And yet they're totally fine with taking people's DNAs against their will. You know, it's fucked up. So around Orange County, they have a spit and a quit program where if people agree to provide a DNA sample for the local database, charges and petty misdemeanors will be dropped. The OC database has 150,000 people's DNA who would otherwise not have it. So just something to think about. It's so funny because it's like my dad never would get an easy pass and he'd be like, I don't want the government tracking where I'm going. And I'm like, you're such a loser. Like get through tolls faster. No one is fucking tracking where you're going. But then like something like this, I'm like, yeah, the government shouldn't just have a bunch of loose DNA. Like to just... No. So it's like, if you don't pick up your dog's shit was one of the examples in the article and you get in trouble for a petty misdemeanor, they're like, we'll drop it if you just let us have your DNA. Yeah. But I've also given my eyes to clear. So who am I to judge? (laughs) Who am I to judge? But your eyes are not a thing yet. I'm wondering, and we'll get into this when we do this episode, but like, you know how they found the Golden State Killer like partially through Ancestry.com DNA? Like, I'm wondering how that's legal. 
Well, so even though main, I do think let's find old serial killers that way, but I don't think let's like compel people's DNA. I don't know. Yeah, Maine and Maryland have just did legislation about um, like ancestry shit, but and how to use DNA or not. But yeah, you know, for a different fucking day. Um, right. So the bill that I just talked about um, was sponsored by both the DA's office and the Prosecutors Alliance of California, as well as Black Women Revolt, uh, which is a group that provides resources and focuses on anti-domestic violence advocacy for Black women. Um, the only approved use of victims' DNA is to identify the perp, and that is that. September 30th of this year, 2022, uh, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, approved the bill and it was filed with the secretary of state and signed into law. And I was trying to, I tried really hard to find what the laws are in all the different states and I was not able to find it. Yeah, it should be a federal law really, but. Well, it kind of is. The federal law exists of this banner of like that database is separate from that, but then like these local precincts just kind of, because that mean that like the federal stuff's for FBI and CODIS and like that stuff. And then these fuckers, but it's kind of how Benson said, they're like, we didn't have to make a law about it because this is so fucking We never unethical. thought anyone would fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually track a bill, which it's it's a cute little website because I think about, I'm just a bill from Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I like, just like see, so the bill was entered in February, 2022, which acted fast, you know, she committed, um, the DNA was used to charge her in December, 2021, made it past the Senate, August passed the assembly and September signed into law. So pretty quick. I don't know how other bills do it, but just a cute little website. So just recently, September 12th, 2022, NPR reported that Jane Doe filed a lawsuit against the city, which I agree. The woman's attorney, Adante Pointer, which sounds like a pasta, um, said to NPR, (laughs) this is government overreach of the highest order. Using the most unique and personal thing we have, our genetic code, without our knowledge to try and connect us to crime. Agreed. What adds even more anger to this is how there's so many untested rape kits just sitting around, not used for their intended purpose, yet they found time to use it against victims. Right. Good point. So Pointer let the New York Times know that the case against the man accused of sexually assaulting Jane Doe was ultimately dismissed, but that's hard for me since he killed her mother. So maybe he was just charged with murder, but the sexual assault was dismissed or what. But it's, I agree, it should be able to be Jane Doe, but because it's a Jane Doe, we can't really find information. I don't know who this man is. I don't know who her mother is. I'm sure he went to jail for the murder and that like maybe there just wasn't evidence besides her word versus his in the sexual assault. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and Although it New- sounds like it was the sister too. Like that, I don't know. Yeah. But it's also the New York Times. So I believe the papers, you know, America's paper. But I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the paper of record. That's what, that's the saying. Uh, my yeah. friend Frax, she always goes the paper. Because when I when I uh, got to be um, in the Times, she goes the paper of record. And she's yeah. like really, really cute. But I, for some reason, said America's paper instead. <laughs> um, but I meant that. Also, since Boudin, in quotes, was uh, testing the public's willingness to support progressive district attorneys amid headlines for rising crime um, and was progressive, he was put under a recall, like Kara said earlier, and is no longer the DA for San Francisco. He lost to Brooke Jenkins in June of this past year, 2022. Um, Since Brooke has taken over, arrests have gone up 20%, even though crime rates have not changed significantly. Um, But about 100 more arrests a month are being brought in. 
Um, and yeah, and at the end of the day, no matter what laws are set up, we have cops and labs self-governing themselves and doing whatever they please with the info they have. And it's kind yeah. of fucked up. And that's it. I, I hate that he was recalled because I really feel like he wasn't given like a chance, really. Like, I think he was only nominated a few years ago and like he was not given a chance to... San Francisco does have a crime problem, but like... Look at how look at how more arrests is not a deterrent to crime, you no, know? And also they were saying how like there's been a decrease in major vi- like giant crimes, but crimes of petty, f- petty like crimes have gone yeah. up. Car, um, like car robberies and stealing. And it's like, that's a societal problem because people don't have money and food. You know what yeah. I mean? And people, a pandemic, like at a pandemic yeah. that like hurt a lot of people economically as well. Like so instead of that, why don't we like, I don't know, make eggs not, to, you know, $8. Like there are things that yeah. lead to the crimes that are happening that do not help arrest because then you have to owe for your jail time and you have to get lawyer. Like, yeah. But in terms of like giant crimes, they did go down. Right. <sighs> Major case. Well, I'm glad that this got sorted out because of all places, California would never let that go. But I wonder if like in... Not to be stereotypical, but I wonder if in red states where they have kind of a law, where they always talk about law and order and like, you know, sorry that you're a victim, but you committed a crime. Like the vibe that this DA has and like that even some of the detective, I mean, even Carisi was like, well, she did do it. You know, like that vibe is definitely going to be around in other states. And I wonder if they're going to make these laws too. Yes, but the reason there is law and order is you have to um, investigate. You have you have to prove it. Yeah. If someone did something, it's up to you to like build a case. You know what I mean? Like, right. Ugh. Well, thank God we have an incredible guest. You know what I mean? But yes. this is actually, I mean... This this is actually one of the few cases I guess we cover that like a law was passed quickly and this is not allowed anymore. Yeah. And like the government working quickly and efficiently, which is because uh, if it wasn't for this Bodine guy, who knows? Yeah. Like she could have just gone to jail and none of this would have been uncovered. So it is pretty incredible that he did that. Yeah. A little or little Mr. Olivia Benson. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, get right over to our guests because we had a, such a fun time talking to this person. Okay, guys, our guest today is a true Renaissance woman. She has been in the Broadway musicals Saturday Night Fever, Pretty Woman, and Legally Blonde, the last of which she was nominated for a Tony. She also frequently performs with her husband, actor, singer, and former guest of the pod, Andy Carl, a.k.a. Baby Dodds. We could call her Mrs. Baby Dodds. And you know her as the nefarious detective Nadia Zabo from today's episode. Guys, please enjoy our convo with the fabulous Orfe. We rewatched your episode yesterday together in a hotel room in Orlando. <laughs> and it's... You're so good. It is such a good episode. Thank you. Even though we saw it a a few times already, it was just truly riveting. Thank you. uh, You and Mariska in that office yelling at each other. It was good stuff. It was really good stuff. Chemistry. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I feel like not a good SVU expert right now, but what was the role you played in your first SVU when you were in season 21? That felt, I, I, I think that was like a cameo. Um, yeah, it was like a it, smaller thing. It was very small. It was top, like the first scene before everything starts. And I played Tony 
and she paints for vengeance. Yeah. I was the club owner at the shady club where shenanigans were happening. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then we get you back as, I mean, I hope this character, I hope she recurs. I would Uh, love to see her face off. I don't quite know what they're waiting for, but yeah. (laughs) Another Benson and her like butting heads. We need it. I just think they should be. Yeah, such time. a lesson. Yeah. And you guys like stole the idea in the end and got all the credit. And it yeah. just, yeah, I would yeah. love to get more action. But does your character think she's doing the right thing or does she know it's bad, but she doesn't care? Did you think about that? I think that people like Nadia always think they're sanctimoniously doing the right thing. That's my yeah. take on it. So I don't think she thinks she's doing anything wrong. And I think that as far as that big showdown scene, you could tell by what she was saying is like, no matter what you say about me, it's not worse than anything you did. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think she justifies her existence or her actions saying, oh, really? Well, how about this? Or then you get a twist with her where she's like, tell that to the mother of a 25-year-old who was killed during a carjack. Right. She just absolutely has a rationale and a justification for all the shenanigans. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So how t- take us back to the beginning how this part even came about. You had done the smaller part in season 21. Yes. I know your husband has been a was had a recurring arc in a totally different yes. season. Yes. And you're friends with Mariska. So how do you get to the Dick Wolf universe? You know, honestly, it was because I just wouldn't stop bugging Mariska and Warren Light. <laughs> honestly. And I hang out with War. I've I've spent a lot of time with Warren, and I've spent a lot of time with Mariska. Uh, very lucky that you know Mariska, someone who's a part of our lives, and she's always like, "We got to get you on. We got to get you on." So it was really her idea, and it was about doing it the right way and the right time. Because I was always like, when Andy was on, and I didn't know them all that well at that point in time. I knew Warren, but I didn't know Mariska as well. Uh, I was like, when can I be on? I could be like this. And I could, you know, I just was always like coming up with these ridiculous ideas. And, you know, finally, I think, I think my turn came up, honestly, you know, and uh, it was, it was luck, but it was something that was in the mix for quite some time. And Mariska was very, very motivated to have me on with her. She very specifically didn't want me to just be, you know, some character that didn't get to play right. with her. Um, and I, and when we did She Paints for Vengeance, she was the director of that right. episode. So when we were together, she's like, I need you back on. I need you with me. I need you in scenes with me. So this was something that was marinating for quite some time, honestly. Amazing. This was not like a random, hey, let's get hurt. It was very orchestrated. It just took some time and then we got felled by the pandemic. So, you know, but it was in, it was in the, the works for quite some time. It just happened to mesh and collate at that moment. And I, couldn't be happier. Yeah. So like after that scene in the office, did you guys like high five after? Were oh like, God, yeah. We She's fucking just, killed it. <laughs> Mariska, so it, there was a moment in the scene where we're at my desk when Mariska, Mariska Olivia comes to visit me and uh-huh. she's like, you know, kind of being cool and I'm like, you know, I did a slow turn. I like, she said something and I just like did this. 
And after the scene, Mariska's like, you really scared the shit out of me with that look. Because, you know, I was doing, I was playing it a little bit more mild and kind of warm and fuzzy, for lack of a better way. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Let me have it. I was like, I don't, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm new here. I can't, you know, she's like, do it. You give it to me. Scare me. Give it to me. And and Mariska basically directed my entire performance out of me. So, wow. you know. Yeah, but she was like, she literally, I could see it too. Her eyebrow went up and she was like, oh. Because <laughs> like, no, it just was. Pissed. Yeah, she was really, and I just did this very slow, which she had said, try this. And I was like, you sure? She's like, yes, I'm sure. And I just did this like slow pan to her. And she was like, that's it. Yeah. Like, and she was like, look at me. I got chills. It was, it was, she's a really, in addition to being all that Mariska Hargitay is, she's also a really phenomenal director. And she knows exactly what she wants it to look like and how the scene should go. And voila. Yeah. When did you decide to go by one name, become a mono-named performer? I've been a mono-named performer since I was six years old. And I, I I, literally cannot stand that people think it's a thing that I got from someone else. I'm like, let me ask all of you. Find me three more Orphes on the planet. Yeah. Tell me about their last names and if they're using them. <laughs> and but it, it was, and I've I've said this before, but I'll say it to you. When I was in grade school and they would do roll roll call, they were already so put upon by the fact that they had to yell out my name during roll call that the last name went away a long time ago. I bet. So the the Orfe was always just Orfe, but when I got a record deal back in the 90s and I had to join the unions, you know, you had to join AFTRA when you were a recording mm-hmm. artist, because um, SAG and AFTRA were not one at that point in time. And I had right. been in SAG already as just Orfe, um, because you could pick any name. And I was like, well, mine's real. Yeah. That's how it all happened. So it's actually just legally my name. So. Wow. It's not. So what kind of, what kind of name is that? My mother made it up based on Black Orpheus the Opera. Oh, oh my wow. God, I love that. So it's no, there's no other. I mean, people are always giving me my origin stories, and I'm like, yes, it is that, but it's this. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It, and I, it's not, you know, occasionally I'll get, you know, other people who are named this name spelled the same. They refuse to admit that it's after me, but it is because my mother <laughs> made up the spelling. But then come to find out there was a recording artist like a thousand years ago who put out a record with my name. Like, I mean, decades and decades ago, which is why there are issues with my birthday because people think I was born the year my record came out while I was in the womb. Oh. (laughs) Hence why I'm 170 on certain places on the internet. Literally, there is a recording artist who put out a record called Orfe, spelled exactly like mine. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I I was born this year, which wasn't also my birthday. It's not. And I put out a record in the womb. I am prolific beyond. (laughs) I'm magically prolific. So Amazing. Did you grow up in an artsy theater home? Not even remotely. No. No. They were, I will say my, my, my adults uh, were very into phenomenal music from R&B to 
you name it, there was good music in my house. So the the music taste was stellar, and that definitely, you know, permeated to my my fibers. Yeah. And you, but you grew up in New York and I read on your Wikipedia that you went to LaGuardia. I did. My dad went there too. Did, did um, he? But a lot, but he's much older than you. So he went when it was Allegedly, the high school of arts and science. Allegedly, depends on who science. put out a record in <laughs> yeah. the womb. So, but He's yeah. about that old. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, like, so you didn't grow up in an artsy house, but you had like an artsy upbringing, right? Because you were going to like art schools. Yes. And, Yes. And I was, but I was very self-motivated. I did not have a momager. Nobody in my family was in the arts. Right. Artistic people, photographers. You know, my, one of my mother's first jobs was retouching headshots with the old school way with an eraser and a lead pencil. You know what I mean? So they were very artistic visually. I, on the other hand, can't draw a stick figure. If you, if you literally, if the world's fate depended on my artistic abilities, it'd be curtains. Armageddon. Yeah, so. Wait, and didn't you and Andy do a big show in so- at Sony Hall recently? We did, October 14th. Not, was that you, so fun? It was the was best. It? it was the Tell best. It. It's about uh, We have a concert series that we've been doing for quite some time, many years. Again, there was a little bit of a thwarting during the pandemic, but we have a series called Legally Bound, you know, play on yeah. words from Legally Blonde. Oh my God, we're so brilliant. Um, <laughs> and uh, we've been doing concerts everywhere, all over the place. Um, we haven't gone overseas with it yet. We're hoping that happens at some point in the near and distant future. But yeah, we've toured the show. Uh, we started at Lincoln Center and then we just went everywhere. We've done it in LA, Miami, uh, San Francisco, and lots of stuff in the tri-state area and, you know, the the burbs and all of that. So yeah, we we have a concert series called Legally Bound. That's awesome. Yeah, we talked to Andy a little bit about you guys working together because we love to ask couples that are both in the business, like, do you guys like to work on auditions together? Do you like to like be in the same things together and stuff? We we love being in the same things together because for some twisted fate thing, we have unusual chemistry for a married couple because you know how that can go. Yeah. It's sometimes oil and water. We just happen to the the fates were kind to us so we love working together we cannot stand auditioning each other and that is something we have to do yeah um, because i'm very much like all right let's go let's do it let's uh, i'm not even going to look at the sides let's just do it and andy will be meticulous you know he's a virgo i'm an aries it's like we're virgos <laughs> let's go um but so but in general auditioning can be so heart-wrenchingly wretched that neither one of us is in a good mood to do it anyway. Right. So it's just, uh, you know, it's challenging all the time. But working together is phenomenal. I love Legally Blonde. Um, Love the musical. Thank you. How was it? You know, it was such a famous role. Like, how did you prep for it to make it your own? And then like, no, it was this like classic thing. Like uh, the process for that. You know, it's so weird because... It was such a famous movie. And then the musical has had its like due so much after the fact. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, we got Tony nominations and we were very popular when we were on Broadway. But I mean, this is a show that should have run forever and ever and ever. And it's like somebody just put a comment on the post I did today with Andy as Emmett that apparently nobody knew Andy 
covered Emmett. So somebody said, you know, if this show came out when there was TikTok and when there was social media, you guys would still be running. And this poster, this this comment was absolutely true. If if it had come out during social media, we, I think I think Facebook and Twitter were just starting to exist. So there was nothing but word of mouth. There was nothing but, you know, so when people were coming to the theater, they were actually motivated to come and see the show as opposed to like it trending somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it it, it has become such an unbelievable phenomenon at this point that it's it's interesting that we're all much more popular because of it now than we were then. Uh, as far as like, listen, first of all, you can't copy Jennifer Coolidge. She's yeah. in, she's literally inimitable. Okay. She's an icon. She is everything that she is. So for me to kind of go and start to talk like this and, you know, kind yeah. of give that, and, you know, it would have been a disaster from the top. You know what I mean? Um, and Jerry Mitchell, our director is, he and I are very, very, very close friends and he knows how I work. I know how he works. Uh, this was our first time doing a big musical together, but we knew each other and he knew Andy. And I was just like, you know, let me kind of infuse what it is that I do as a performer, who I am as a performer, and then take the best aspects of movie Paulette slash Jennifer Coolidge Paulette and do some kind of a blend that's going to make sense to people. And, you know, I had uh, the 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 additional gift of being able to sing so no one could say, well, like, she doesn't sing like Jennifer Coolidge. You know what I mean? So, like, I got to have that as my own thing. So no one could compare that. But if they were able to compare in any other way than kind of costumes or visual or who Paulette was to Elle, it, it, it would not have worked out well. I just, I just was lucky enough that Jerry allowed me to kind of give it my, my spin, you know? What um, was I going to ask you? Oh, are you, what are you working on right now? What am I working on right now? <laughs> we have, you know, we optioned, I don't know if Andy told you, we optioned a book called The Dancer. So we're kind of trying to fit the pieces of where it's going to go, who's going to be in it, and you know, things like that. Michael Yuri is our lead, you know, so Ooh. we're all kind of, you know, involved in that. There are a lot of concerts coming up after the new year. So we're kind of working on that. And auditioning and waiting for, you know, the next good gig and maybe uh, waiting for SVU to call me back as Nadia. They got, I mean, they left the door open because it's like they didn't suspend that character. She got completely walked away like she was the savior of, no, you know, I know. the queen's homicide. Ooh, what ah. if you guys have to work together, like major case? Yeah. Uh, that that would be fun. Like, you they guys should are do pissed, that. But you have to work together. I to would it. do it. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I, it yeah. was it was just about the, not even just about, it was the best television experience. I haven't, I don't have a zillion mile resume for TV. I have had, you know, good stuff episodic wise, but that was hands down my favorite professional experience I've had in, oh, in TV. Wow. Hands down. She knows it. They all know it. Yeah. I, I make no bones about when I'm happy. It's like, you know, I'd be crazy not to be, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, totally. One of our classic questions is, um, what are your favorite craft service snacks and go-tos? Oh, uh, I love candy. I'm I'm real it's 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 a problem. So yeah, I love like gummy bears and gummy worms and starburst and things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm a gummy totally. gal. It's, it's a thing. That's I our problem. I was reading that you're a tattoo girl. You have yes. a lot of hidden tats. They're all hidden. That's smart. Yeah, I um, I feel I have a lot of tattoos and I feel like anytime I do get to be on a set, everyone is panicking. Well, because um, you have to really get it It really stresses all. people out. <laughs> but it shouldn't stress the makeup so good. I mean, I had to cover my ankle tattoos 20 some odd years ago when the makeup wasn't as good for Saturday Night Fever because they're the, you know, when you're wearing a dress and heels, yeah, you can see them. And I mean, Annette could have had tattoos, but they were like, now. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> are you on, are you going to get more? You know, I love them so much. I just don't know where else to put them where they're properly hidden. Yeah. yeah. And and where they'll look good in a in a red carpet situation. Right. You know what I mean? Like and there are certain parts of my body I don't want them on and I've never wanted them on or else I would have done it already. Um so I have to figure out where the next one or what the next one will be because they all mean something to me. They're not yeah. random. So that when I'm, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old, I'm going to look and be like, what was I thinking? You know, they <laughs> all mean be me. something. <laughs> yeah, but you can switch them. You can always get, you know, have them covered up and changed. Oh my gosh. So you mostly just worked with Marishka when you were at SVU, right? You didn't really, did you really have scenes with any of the other... Um, Cast members? I, I did in the episode, w- one of the the first two scenes that Marishka's not in was were with the other guest stars. Oh, that's the, right. The other guest stars. So, I was, I guess I was just kind of like, did you have any interactions with like Ice T or like, you know, I any did, fun stories? I did with the uh first episode, the uh tangled strands of just uh, Oh no, no the, she paints she for, paints for vengeance. vengeance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm just I'm I've been on so many, I just can't <laughs> keep it straight. Um I was only with Ice-T and Jamie for my uh, scene with the Paints for Vengeance moment when Mariska was directing. So I was just in a room with the two of them and the uh, one actress who came in to like be like, yeah, sure, you know, she got really upset and she was like, yeah, this place is disgusting, basically. Um, So it was just us and Ice-T is the coolest human being alive. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah, and I've we met just everybody. hear so many good things about him and Marishka. It's like no one has any shit to talk about them. Everybody just loves them so much because it's it's real. Like and, yeah, and, you know, Ice T is just. I don't know if Andy's told you, but I, Ice is Andy's idol. Like he <laughs> yeah. he just adores him. And uh, Ice T and Coco came to Pretty Woman, and Ice was like smiling from ear to ear. I was like. Dude, you're freaking smile. Look at you. He's like, yo, I had a good time. Like, he's just the the coolest, coolest, coolest guy on the planet. Oh, and that's nice awesome. and generous. And like, you know, people go up to him. He's not all, you know, I'm a star. I'm iced tea. Marishka's the same way. She doesn't act like you know, a, a, a huge mega, 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 mega right. star. Yeah. No diva behavior. Yeah. What are the difference between, um, outside of like tapes, but like theater auditions and like TV movie auditions? Uh, theater auditions are notoriously um, endless. Uh, I was just having this conversation with somebody a moment ago. I auditioned for Paulette and Legally Blonde for six weeks. Oh my God. For six weeks. From the first time I walked in 
till the day they told me I finally got the role was a six-week period. TV, it's quick. You, you, yeah. you audition, you get it, or you don't. And they're usually like shooting the next day. So I think that's much kinder. Yeah. I really do. Wait, you waited six weeks or you had to do stuff for them? No, for I six had to weeks. do, I had to go back for callback after callback for six oh weeks. My God. Yeah. It was not every day for six weeks, but from the time I first went in till the time that I got the role, it was a six week process. Damn. I'm traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they showed that in Smash a little bit. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's true. You know, I actually remember now when you were entangled, you you have a lot. I think that having a mono name like you, it's it pays off because I remember the first time I Googled you was from when you were entangled strands of uh sorry, she paints for vengeance. She paints for vengeance because she I was paints like, for tangled strands of justice. Because I was like, who's Orfe? Like, why does this person have one name? And I just was like, who is that? And I Googled you See? and found out about you being on Broadway and stuff. And you and found then, out it was a 110-year-old siren. Yeah, I was like, who, wow, she looks yeah. great for 110. <laughs> and then when Jimmy told me he knew you, I was like, I know who she is because I Googled her and I just oh saw God. her in this new episode. Oh my God. So yeah. It's all like, you know, that name intrigues people. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> or revolts them. It's only one or the other. There's nothing in between. Well, yeah. So if, if, is there anything you want our viewers, to, our listeners, sorry, to like check out like the Legally Bound well, series? I, I think I think that there's a lot of music that we have out that they should all check out. We've got um, uh, yes. Legally Bound live at 54 Below, the CD. Um, it exists. There's uh, the Christmas single, Baby, Please Come Home, the old Darlene Love classic. Uh, I mean, it's all available on Spotify, but hey, if you oh, want to purchase like an yeah. autographed copy, you can go to Broadway <laughs> Records and there's, you know, the 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 archaic CD, but it has our, you know, autographs on them. So yeah, 54, you know, uh, Legally Bound Live at 54. All of my older music is on Spotify now, even like the out-of-print first CD I made when I was a kid or and more, that's available now. Wow. And what do you want from me? Um, uh, with the single, um, what do you want from me? Yes, the Orfe CD. Yeah. The Orfe <laughs> CD I made when I was in Legally Blonde. Um, I'm, I'm hoping some music person finds one of my older songs and <laughs> makes it a big freaking hit now. Yeah, That's really the dream. That's yeah, a techno yeah. remix for TikTok. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Like, you know, Kate Bush, two words. That's it. This is cool. I hope we see you in so many things. I've, yeah. I've Thank you from your mouth to God's ears. Orfe. <laughs> a great episode. That. A great <laughs> So yeah, such a good episode. She was so fun. Yeah, just a great episode. And the end, I think it's one of those moments—not a haunting SVU moment, but that that the line of like, if you want to get things done, you it doesn't matter who takes credit for it. Like, yeah. uh, you got to allow other people to take credit for stuff if you want to get things done. And I just think that's um, something important to remember. Like, and I think women have been doing that for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, like that one hits. But if you're a woman, you're like, yeah, I guess I fully have like let my ideas like just just to make it happen. Let some man take a credit for it, you know? Yeah, I yeah, you're right. I don't know. I can't think of a moment. I yeah, I think I want attention for stuff. And I'm glad to <laughs> remember that that doesn't matter as long as yeah. things get yeah. done. But this episode... 
you know, wild. The, the cops are doing whatever they can to get convictions. I'm, I can't believe this happened in real life. I'm glad it got spotted. I'm glad that it's like, I can't believe that we have to like make laws against stuff that just seem so morally reprehensible, but you have to like put it in writing so that nobody tries to do it. Um, but I'm glad it's been done. But also, of course, there's no law written about it because... Men do the law. They don't even care. I mean, yeah. marital rape, what, wasn't illegal until the 90s, I think, or 80s. So yeah. it's, um, so yeah, of course, there's not laws to protect this. They don't even test the rape kits. Yeah. But the backlog. This, these motherfuckers, they don't get how hard. So Idaho. Yes. I sent you a thing about, I guess, one of the survivors. Just, to, just so people know what we're talking about, we're talking about this murder, this this murder that we've talked about on the podcast before that I'm, I, we're, I think we're all very invested in finding out the truth about these four college students that were murdered seemingly at random. They had no suspects for a really long time. Over the winter break, a suspect emerged. I posted about him on our Instagram. He looks like fucking William Lewis. And then Lisa, go on with what you were going to say. So there's, they arrested a guy, but there's one survivor who saw, this is, this is all from Instagram. So I don't really know if what's true, what's not. Yeah. But one survivor saw the attacker leave or come in, like she knew, but then did not call the authorities for like nine more hours or something, like fell asleep. Yeah. And a lot of people in the comments are like, fuck this bitch. Why didn't she do it? This is shady. She must have something to do with it. But I always think about one of our early episodes, Colleen Stan, and um, the prosecutor, they're saying, stop expecting people to do normal things in abnormal situations. So right. I feel for this girl, like if she was just like so scared or in shock or, you know, like little kids in SVU sit in the closet and don't call for help. Like it happens. So I don't yeah. know, but I understand the comments. I don't know. It was just um, another like layer where I'm like, I hope this wasn't a hit. I hope this wasn't a little duo situation. A, I mean, we've had a few people write to us that say that like they they live near where this guy lives in Pennsylvania, but it's not very, he was going to school on the Washington state border or something like very close to the border of Idaho, I guess. So I don't know. I, I I can't imagine like what, you know. Like what's worse to find out? I guess it doesn't matter if like this is a loved one of yours, but like if it's random or if it was cahoots or if like, yeah, the, or if the stories are getting commingled. And we covered a case like this, the Tulsa massacre, where it was just like a bunch of students um, being murdered in one home. And the same thing, the judge did the same thing for this case where yeah. it's like on lock. No one can yeah. talk to the media at all. And I wonder what about these types of crimes that make that happen. Yes, I, I want to know that too. Like, what is it that where you think that the public's help? I guess they figure that since there wasn't a suspect for so long, whatever the public could offer in terms of help has been done. You know, like, and now this man's identity is out there. If you know something about him, you know who to contact. Like, there's really not a lot of, like, tips or help we can expect from the public anymore because it happened so long ago and they only just... But there were two roommates that survived. Oh. And when we say survived, when we say survived, I think they were just upstairs sleeping is what I originally read. Like, they just didn't get attacked. I don't know if this guy 
planned to get all of them, didn't know that there were six, uh, six of them, but like he killed four of them. Two of them, uh, apparently like, like you were just saying, woke up in the morning, didn't call cops for a long time. And we're only just finding out now that maybe that one of them says she saw the guy like leaving the morning of the attack or something. And, but he was in a mask that covered his nose and his mouth. But she said she described his bushy eyebrows or something. So like, I don't know if maybe she could ID him. I don't know. And she said she heard crying and a male voice say, it's okay, I'm going to help you. It's like so, I don't know. This case is so fucking weird. But what's the weirdest is that he studies criminology and criminal justice. Yeah, but what do I say? Yeah. Sociology is good. Criminal justice is, those are the bad guys. <laughs> it is what it is. I don't make up the rules. No, I didn't. I, I totally made that up, but... I think we got to be like fingerprinting these criminology students. I just or feel like sociology people become like public defenders and then criminal justice people become parole officers. Like that's my breakdown of what I believe. No, but this is just an amazing episode. I, I think it's, I love their fighting in the office. I love the passion. I love the wild story. Like, but grounded, I don't know. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I would like to see Orfe's character back. I would love to yes. see Nadia Zabo back because her and Benson, I think because they know each other personally, like her, her and Marishka, like they just had really good bitch chemistry and I, I like that. I also want to like, see Andy, Carl, and Orfe together. Like I, we saw them separate. We know that they're together, but I want to like go dancing with them or something. <laughs> Dinner. I want to see what's up because I wonder if she yeah. ch- talks a lot and he's chill or if they're like both chatty Kathy. Like, I just want to know their dynamic I as know. a couple. I love, I, I, that, I'm always curious about that too, for sure. Um, but, but, okay, let's... I, you know, another thing I'd like to say about Orfe uh, is, you know, these singers, they can't party. They can't drink. They've re- it's yeah. a 24-hour job. You got the instruments. Yeah. You know, like, you cannot, maybe, hopefully she's eating some edibles at night, but it is tough. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't be me. I just, uh, you know. Well, that's what Bridget Everett a- said. Bridget Everett was like a classically trained singer. And then when she realized the lifestyle, she was just like, no. No. I'm not doing <laughs> this. I'm going to do Joe's Pub where I get wasted and sing at the same yeah. time. Cabaret. <laughs> I'm going to do cabaret. Like, I'm yeah. not gonna- There's a comic who I really don't like, but she has said this too, where she's like, I was going to be like an actor. And then when she started going on auditions, she was like, ugh. Like these people are so like doing like, you know, like she's like, and then she walked out. She's like, I don't want to do this. And that's girl gargoyle, guy gargoyle, girl gargoyle. Did you ever do that one? No, but I like that. Um, I think if I have a home, I would buy some gargoyles. I think it's funny. I like it. It reminds me of Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah. Well, if they come alive, that's for sure. Um, I'm a gargoyle girl. (laughs) What can I say? I'm a gargoyle I'm a gargoyle girl. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> um, okay. Let's move on. Let's get into our What Would Sister Peg Do for this episode. You know, What Would Sister Peg Do is our uh, segment where we direct you guys to a book, an organization, an article, something that will give you more info on what we talked about today. And we wanted to point you this week to the organization Black Women Revolt. Um, That is an organization that's dedicated to increasing awareness about the impact of intergenerational violence in the Black community and removing barriers for Black women who've experienced domestic abuse to receive access to culturally sensitive resources. So... Um, if you 
know anyone that is uh, that could use this kind of service, please send them to blackwomenrevolt.org. Or if you just want to check out their resources and donate, um, go ahead to that website, blackwomenrevolt.org. And that will, as always, be on our Instagram stories the day of the episode release and will be saved forever in our WWSPD highlight. Amazing. Thank you for that. And we will continue on next uh, next year. Next episode, Abomination, Season 5, Episode 8, Hulu, Peacock. Get on it. And thank you so much for listening. Rate and review. And we'll see you next <laughs> week. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.